0: Welcome back to another Yak Podcast. My name is A.J. Swanson. Yak exists to reconcile a culture of nobodies that want to tell everybody about somebody. And this uh, year we've gone through uh, three questions. Um, The first one being, who is God? We spent the fall on that. During the winter we spent the time on who is Jesus. And now we move into our last section, which we ask the question, who am I? Um, Which clearly is... Uh, directly influenced by the first two questions. Um, if you have any questions about Yak, uh, feel free to visit us at cccfrisco.org. Enjoy. Authenticity. That's like but that was the hip church word like 10 years ago. Like if you looked at the mission of like all the church plants in the country, it was, we are an authentic body. You know, it was nowadays. That's just, you know, the phrase for the gym down the road. Um, we're an authentic body and we want you to have an authentic body, but authenticity. <laughs> I love it. Aiden's like, yeah, man, it's <laughs> right. It's that's right. Uh, I your so yeah, <laughs> get you free pass. Um, and I think, we, I think anyone outside the church says that word a lot too. We desire authenticity. We at minimum respect people who are authentic. We at minimum respect people who are authentic. We might not like them. They might be so authentic where we're like, I can't tolerate you. You're just too weird. You just think too much outside of the box. You are just too much not like me. You're authentic. I respect that even though I might not like it. And how do I know that the world craves authenticity? And this is how I know. Because the whole public decries fake. If someone is discovered to be fake, TMZ, Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, Facebook, People Magazine, USA Today, they will run cover story after cover story about how this person was a hypocrite. They were fake. We found them out. We hate that. And everyone across whatever worldview will jump on that bandwagon too. Because we all can't stand fake. And who do we really want to be authentic? I'll tell you who we really want to be authentic our politicians, our pastors, our teachers, our coaches, our cops, our civic leaders. We want those people to be real because their lives have a direct impact on us. Do they not? And we don't want fake people influencing our lives. Not living some hidden life. Not making decisions just to please people. But decisions that are influenced by their real feelings and confessions. So, are you authentic or are you fake? I'm going to make a claim. It's the next fell in the blank. All of you are fake. I said it. All of you are fake. Yeah, shots fired. (laughs) Do what you want with it. All of you are fake. But I believe everyone in this room, including myself, put on a mask a good portion of the time in our lives. We put on a mask. Some of you live behind it 24-7. It's just one mask and it's very pretty. Others of you have like 20 masks that you hide behind. Some of you have begun to step outside of them. But most of us live behind masks the vast majority of the time. And that is because, and I believe this phrase 100%, we fear people getting to know us intimately we absolutely are terrified of people knowing us us like the person who has thoughts and stuff throughout the course of the day that we hope nobody knows or hears and this is the next fill in the blank because we fear people not liking who we really are That's why we wear masks. We fear people not liking who we really are. So we do our best to please them. I came to this realization my senior year of high school. I I remember this weekend like it was yesterday. I was taking Theater 5, and I was assisting in a Theater 2 class. Uh, Both were some of my favorite classes. I was, by all accounts, a theater geek. I was president of the International Thespian Society and one actor of the year for my school that year but one of the most life-changing experiences would take place that year during my first semester. We were moving towards what is called a character mock-up or a biography. It's method acting, it's Stanislavski. If you are a theater person, you might have heard these phrases before. But what he encourages you to do, whether you're mailman number two or whether you're the lead in the play, is to write a biography of the character so you know who you are. So when you walk on stage and you make decisions, you're not just pulling your decisions out of mid-air. You have a backstory, just like everyone else, even if you're mailman number two. And your actions, your mannerisms, and your personality on stage can be pulled from somewhere. It makes sense, right? Um, you have to know who your character is if you're going to convincingly play them so you write a history of the character how many brothers and sisters do they have what are, what are they in their, where are they in their birth order do they come from a single family home what are their aspirations how confident are they why are they confident all these things in life will contribute to who they are notice how there I said the word contribute I think that's very key the character is not just the oldest child of five who was raised in a home by his father because his mother passed away when he was young, who wanted to be help people so he became a fireman, got injured, and is now working a male gig. That does not define a person. Matt, what defines you is not that you are the oldest of two in a family home who plays baseball. That does not define you. Okay? Okay? What a person does, and this is your next fill in the blank. What a person does or has done does not define who that person is. What a person does or has done does not define who a person is, although it does contribute. And let me make this clear, what what I mean by that. We love to label people. Do we not? We love to label people. She's, uh, you know... Cheerleader, really excited person, Um, this guy's a jock, this person's a geek, this person's a nerd, there are differences. Um, This person, you know, has a loud mouth, this person's a gossip, this person's the baseball player, this person's the musician. We love labels because at the end of the day, we're so comfortable behind our own masks that we easily put masks on other people and treat them like the masks that we put on them. We do this all the time. It's called a first impression. Okay? You have a first impression of somebody, you build a mask for them in your mind, and you put it on them. And then as you get to know them, slowly that mask is pulled off or stuff is added to it. We do this all the time. But that does not what defines them. Before we did a character biography, though, our teacher, Miss Dean, turned to us and assigned a different topic. We were to ask the question of ourselves. So instead of asking the question of our character, we asked the question, who are you? We were to write our own biographies so that we would have a basis to write biographies for a character and in turn answer the question in the biography at the very end, who are you? So I went home and I wrote my biography. Oldest of three boys. Had both parents around. Started playing soccer and baseball when I was five. Stopped playing baseball when I was eight. Started singing in church when I was three. Had my first performance at the same time. I played Joseph in a Christmas pageant. Woke up to the world around me when my cousin died when I was 13. Was mad at the world for several years. Lost hope. Moved to Hicksville. I mean Charlotte. Found Jesus. Found Jesus. I've played soccer. I sing in choir, both at school and church. I do every musical or play I can. I'm president of the International Thespian Society, vice president of the men's ensemble, leader of my church outreach, captain on my church soccer team. I'm also a coach and referee on the weekends. I'm a camp counselor in the summer, and I'm a crazy Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. Biography done. Okay? Had I gotten to the next part, though, who am I? The first part of my homework I had gotten done that Friday night. It took me about five minutes. I was, of course, writing about a subject I had known very well, namely myself. But that last question of who am I haunted me throughout the course of the weekend. And I remember not sleeping much of the weekend. And that Monday morning, woke up, the due date drew closer. I became anxious and worried both for my grade and my sanity when it came to answering what seemed like a simple question. Who am I? I remember taking a shower that morning, wiping the fog off the mirror, staring at the mirror, and realizing I don't know what mask I'm wearing. Because I was a different person around my parents than I was around my soccer friends, than I was around my camp counselor friends, than I was around my church outreach team, than I was around my theater friends, than I was around my... You get the picture. I'd worn so many masks at this point in my life. I had no clue who the real AJ was that old song who's the real slim shady please stand up please stand up i felt like that hey sit down <laughs> who am i who am i have you ever felt that way ever stand yourself at the mirror seen somebody smirk back at you and you're not quite sure who it is it's a little freaky again they're not defined by what they've done, but what they want to be. but who, Not what they want to be, but who they are. And we have a friend who's asked the same question in the Bible. Her name is Ruth. She asked the same question in a book that has her name. So let me give you the um, Ruth for dummies or the Sparknotes version. So two Jews, Elimelech, everyone say that. Say it one more time. Elimelech. Okay, now you know some Hebrew. It's good. You're learning. Elimelech and Naomi moved to Moab. Moab are the descendants of Lot. The Moabites, I know real clever, had been cast out of Israel and removed from interacting with Israel. Naomi's husband dies. Then Naomi's two sons die. So she is left with her daughter-in-law, a Moabite, Ruth. Naomi decides to return to her native land and pleads with Ruth to go back to her mother so that she has a better chance of remarrying. But Ruth is loyal to a mother of her husband. She said to her, your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. So one of those phrases I love in the scripture that continues to pop up from time to time. And she returns to Israel with Naomi. Ruth displayed loyalty to Naomi, her mother-in-law. Upon returning to Bethlehem, you guys know where that is, Ruth goes and gathers wheat in the field of Boaz, a relative of Naomi's dead husband. Boaz, having heard of Ruth and her loyalty, finds favor on her. Boaz is one of their guardian redeemers. We could talk about that for a while. A guardian redeemer is one who is obligated to redeem a relative in serious difficulty. Somebody who's going to take care of him. Soon Ruth approaches Boaz and lays at his feet while he sleeps. This is a sign of submission in that culture. Boaz awakes and asks who she is. Granted, he is startled. It is late at night. He has just finished with a party. And he asks, Who are you? He already knows what she has done. He knows her name. They have interacted extensively before. Ruth replies this, though I am your servant. She has defined herself in relation to those who have guarded and redeemed her. She has defined herself in relation to those who have guarded and redeemed her. Boaz knows what she has done. He knows her story. She could have responded with any of that, but she responds in relation to him. Likewise, here's your next fill in the blank. You have been defined by the one who created and redeemed you. You have been defined by the one who created and redeemed you. Romans eight fourteen and 15 says this. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Romans 9, 25 and 26. He says in Hosea, it's actually quoting Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people... They will be called children of the living God. I've preached on Hosea before. I've talked about Hosea before. So you have Hosea, Ruth, and us. They've all been defined differently. We have been bought like Hosea, like Ruth, by Christ to become part of his family and act a certain way. But do we do that? And that is the basis of this series. That's what we're going to dive into. Because we wear masks instead. We don't live a life by which we've been defined in scripture. We put on masks. And there are two types of masks. Those other people put on us. And those we put on ourselves. Most of the time we don't realize masks have been put on us. Because we have lived with it for so long. Or we don't realize the mask we put on because we do it so slowly. The masks we put on to defend ourselves against the views of other people are typically slowly painted. They're not bought at the store and worn to school on the first day. As an 18-year-old staring in the mirror, this was the thing that bothered me so much. I was a different person around so many different groups. I was so used to playing so many different people that I didn't know who I actually was. We're going to spend the next couple weeks diving into the different masks that we wear. And lastly, we will discuss how to take them off. And why it's important to do so, if indeed you are a child of God. And from that presupposition, we must come to the conclusion of whether we are an authentic child of God, or if that too is a mask we wear. Thanks for listening to this Yak podcast. If you want more information on Yak, you can visit us at cccfrisco.org. Tune in next week.